Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they show it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted. By Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. Thursday night, 7.48. I said 7.45 would be the earliest we would go live today, and we're just a couple minutes late, so thank you for hanging in there with us. Bills Mafia, this is Matt Perino, Ryan Talbot, Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast. Getting you a late week edition of the show before the very long weekend. We want to get into, you know, a couple things tonight. Uh, 53-man roster is officially set now. Reed Ferguson back in the mix. Marquez Stevenson going on IR. Some of the practice squad moves that we saw yesterday, we're getting into that. And we got a chance to talk to Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean the last couple of days. They kind of put into perspective some of the things that they were thinking uh, when they made a lot of these decisions. We'll get into all of that. Let me welcome you into the show, Mr. Ryan Talbot. How are you, my friend? Hey, I am doing great. Like you said, we have a lot to talk about with this Bills team and then a little bit about uh, our game-by-game predictions. Yeah, we're, we're putting the finishing touches on that. There's a special Bills section in um, the Syracuse Post Standard this Sunday. So I, I sent my preview in and I, I, I'm putting the finishing touches on the prediction story as well. Ryan sent his in as well. We, Ryan, we're terrible. I mean, we're, we're, we're way too on the same page. We finished with the same record again. I tried to go a little bit different. Now, I will say I set my record in two days ago for Channel 4's uh, preview show on Sunday, and it was 14-3, and three, and when you sent yours, it was 14-3. and three. So we'll, we'll get into how we see that going. I had it a little bit differently, uh, the, the three uh, losses, so we'll get into that as well. This is the Shout Podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. Whether you're celebrating at home or away, Tops has all your fan favorites ready to enjoy for football, entertaining, or any occasion. Visit Tops Markets, Tops Friendly Markets. Get your stuff. Get yourself all set up. All right, let's start with Jacob Hollister, which I think in the whole tight end situation for the Buffalo Bills. Also, on a side note, 
you know, I've been doing some research on the microphone situation. Some people have said, you know, you've been a little bit higher in terms of volume. So yeah, leave it in the comments section. If, if you've noticed that in the past, let me know how this uh, mic is sounding today. I brought it up a little bit and I think that's part of the problem. So we'll see if that uh, is going to work a little bit better. But Ryan, this, this tight end situation is interesting. You released Jacob Hollister. You go into the season with just Dawson Knox, Tommy Sweeney, and then kind of Reggie Gilliam, but he's a fringe tight end guy at this point. He's a fullback. He's a special teamer. They use him. I think they're going to use a fullback in more sets this year, but he's got that versatility. He can be that tight end. The Bills go out and bring in, um, you're going to have to help me with his first name, uh, Kareem Waring, I think mm-hmm. is how you uh, pronounce it, as well as uh, Quentin Morris, who lands on the practice squad. But we heard from Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. And what we heard is that, Brandon Bean thinks that Jacob Hollister is going to sign with another team. And then we see a report today. Tom Pelissaro says that Jacksonville is expected to be that team. And Joe Biscaglia, I think from the athletic asked Sean today about, it, and he said the trust that we have in Dawson Knox allowed us to move on from Jacob Hollister basically paraphrasing there in so many words, you know, it just might've not have been a great fit for Jacob Hollister after what they saw in training camp and the preseason. Yeah, it's an interesting deal because there have been some days where we saw Hollister and he made some, his fair share of plays. I remember you noting one bad drop on his part, though, as well. Uh, there was the preseason game where he, he tried to leap over a defender and he made some plays in that, too. So it, it's not like this is someone that came in this year and, and did absolutely nothing. And you're like, oh, this guy's a non-factor. He, he did flash at times. So, you know, you and I. We, we have our own opinions, but we, we also can't sit here and necessarily question the judgment of this coaching staff and Brandon Bean. Uh, they see them every single day. They've been evaluating them week by week here as we get to the season. So uh, I'm sure they were justified in their reasoning. It's definitely one of those releases. It's the only re- release that really jumped off the page, though, because I know I thought it was a case of a vested veteran that was going to resign the next day. And then when they came out and said, no, that's not the case. I I was a little bit stunned because like you said, Dawson Knox has been here a few years, Matt, and we've talked about the athletic traits. We talked about how high uh, his ceiling is, but he hasn't put it together yet. Tommy Sweeney, we know what he can do in, in small bursts. That's still a lot of unknowns there. And I, and it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out this year. Um, I put my daughter to sleep and I think she's crying upstairs. Uh, my wife's not home yet, so I'm going to have to run up there for a second. May, I might have to bring her down and let her fall asleep on me until my wife gets home. We'll see. But on Dawson Knox, I, I, I want to get into him a little bit more, and I'll let you take the, the floor here while I run up and deal with that because I can kind of hear it in the background. Um, I was really interested at what Sean said about Knox today because, you know, we've we've chronicled him during this whole preseason lead-up. Um, uh some of the struggles that he had in training camp. We know he spent a lot of time this offseason working on his hands, making it a priority. And he's come out this this year, this preseason. We haven't seen a ton from him. I mean, you know, he, he's had a couple moments in practice, a couple days where he had some nice catches. But I think that as we look at this thing now, they're placing all of their faith and trust in Dawson Knox. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing considering where this offense is and where where they kind of lean on in terms of their playmakers. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a, a bad thing at all. And l- let's talk about a few different aspects of it. First and foremost, this Bills offense does not utilize the tight end position like the San Francisco 49ers do with George Kittle. 
They do not utilize the position like the Kansas City Chiefs do with Travis Kelsey. And the list goes on and on. The Bills funnel through their wide receivers. And when it comes to a wide receiver unit, the Bills arguably, I think you could make a case, have the best one through four, one through five in the NFL. So that passing offense isn't going to take a hit. Dawson Knox, to his credit, came on late in the season last year, especially in the playoffs. He had two touchdowns in the playoffs. Uh, the one that always stands out in my mind is the one in the Colts game where Josh Allen, it looked like it was a designed run play. But Knox being uh, a heads-up play, I guess is the best way of putting it, kept running his route to make sure that, hey, in case this guy needs to throw it, I can do that. So Knox has gotten a, he, he has the intangibles. He has the intelligence off the charts in terms of size, speed, that mismatch uh, factor. It's just up to him to put it together now. He worked with the hand-eye uh, coordination specialist. He went to tight end university. You're still going to see him in small bursts, small doses. He just has to make the most of those opportunities this year, Matt. I got her. <laughs> I got her. I had to go up and uh, bring her down here, and so she's going to go to sleep on me for a few minutes until my wife gets home. But, you know, it – you know, I missed most of what you just said there. So we'll probably, I, I would imagine that you said it probably pretty much all there. And I, and I think we can move on to the next position group. Cause as you look through this one thing, that's, before we get too much into the, to the meat of this thing in terms of, you know, 53 man roster stuff that I wanted to cover, let's go to the cornerback two situation, because I don't know about you, but I thought it was very interesting that they're still talking about, this being a competition between Dane Jackson and Levi Wallace. Yeah, that jumped off the page a little bit to me as well, because listen, leading up to this training camp, leading up to the preseason, you and I were both thinking Dane Jackson had a really good chance to win that job, but he hasn't been that consistent in training camp in the preseason. He wasn't the one making the plays consistently. Levi Wallace was the one that was getting in there, making some plays, showing that he was still a solid tackler, which is so important to Sean McDermott's defense. If you give up a catch, so be it. But if it's a five-yard reception, you better tackle him at five yards or six yards. It's when you miss the tackles that it becomes an issue. And Dane had some missed tackles. He had some poor coverage. The fact that they're still talking about this being a competition is intriguing to me. And maybe it's because it's the cornerback position and not the quarterback position or something like that. They can keep saying that maybe the bills feel like they want to have close to a 50, 50 split. I'm not sure, but in my opinion, once again, Levi Wallace to his credit has come in and defeated someone that was supposed to take his job. Bill's mafia. This is something we have seen throughout his entire tenure with the bills. He was brought in as an undrafted free agent, spent some time on the practice squad. When he finally got to play, he looked good. So then he's had to fight off, though, competition throughout his career. It was Josh Norman last year. Uh, Vontae, you know, not Vontae Davis. Um, EJ Gaines one year was supposed to be in there. Kevin Johnson was supposed to be that guy. And although Norman and Johnson, they flashed, they had their moments it was Levi Wallace who they kept going back to to start, to, to be in there in those big moments. Levi Wallace, to his credit, is a bit of a gamer. He's, he's not flashy. He's not a player that is necessarily going to um, have three or four 
batted passes per game, great coverage all the time. He's not Trey White, I guess is the best way of putting it. But he is a solid number two cornerback. I think the expectations year in, year out have have gone up for him. And, And maybe he's just the guy that he is. He's a solid cornerback that makes plays, that makes tackles consistently, and that's okay. Speaking of being okay, I think we're all set. I got her upstairs. Uh, You know, it's funny, Ryan. I've done, I don't know how many of these shows now where if my wife wasn't home or, you know, I had the kids and we always just put her to bed and she's usually good. But I will say, I think this goes right up into her room and I wonder if I woke her up Uh, and she was not happy about that. So (laughs) sorry, honey. Um, So, yeah, you know, some of the other things that we got into today that I wanted to bring up from Sean, um, Devin Singletary is somebody that I I asked him point blank about today. And, you know, I think it's still going to be interesting to see how this running back room shakes out in in the regular season. How much how many running backs do they activate? You know, Taiwan Jones is going to be active on game day. Sean McDermott gave him another uh, you know, a bit of uh, praise today when uh, he was asked about him and what he brings, he even mentioned him as a leader, not only what he does on special teams, but what he brings is in the room. So, you, you know, he's going to get a roster spot there. You know, he's going to get an active spot there on most game days. So it's going to be interesting then to see how. I think she's still crying up there. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting to see how at running back, how many games is Matt Breida going to be up for? What's going to happen with the Zach Moss, Devin Singletary timeshare? So I asked him point blank about Devin Singletary today, and he said he's looked different. He's looked explosive. He thought he did a lot of work last offseason, but you could tell the work was done this offseason. I think that there's all of a sudden a lot of confidence in Devin Singletary, who I went and looked at the preseason numbers today, 14 touches, 10 carries, 4 catches, 2 touchdowns. He averaged over 6 yards a carry. Really, really good preseason from Devin Singletary. Singletary looks ready to go. Yeah, and, and you know the interesting thing about Singletary, every offseason you hear about a handful of players who, oh, they put in all this work and it's going to look like a different player. And nine times out of ten, it's not how it usually pans out. It's it's the same player and, and they don't look different and you don't notice anything. That's been the exact opposite for Devin Singletary. He, he looks bigger in terms of more muscle mass. He looks faster. He looks more explosive. Now, does he have the, the extra gear of Matt Breida? No, absolutely not. But he still has a little bit more burst. He's always been able to make people miss. He looks like a more well-rounded back. And, and that could pay huge dividends for the Bills because, like you said, how do you manage having all three of those backs activated on a game-by-game basis if you're also going to have Taiwan Jones active. If you're also going to use the fullback position with Reggie Gilliam, and I'm not saying they're always going to use Gilliam every week, um, but Jones seems like he's in that lock area almost week in, week out because of how important he is to special teams as a leadership perspective. So is there a week where, man, you know, we could really use Breida in the passing game? Does that make Zach Moss the odd man out? If Singletary, you know, uh, can't carry over this preseason, the regular season. Does that make him inactive some games? I don't know because I'm not sure how many of these backs and fullbacks and special teams backs uh, you can carry on a week-by-week basis when you can only have so many players active and you know they're going to go heavy at wide receiver. Uh, So maybe that was also a part of the decision to just carry those two tight ends saying, well, if we did carry Hollis, we're going to make him inactive anyways. It's just all about the roster gymnastics, and it's really going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. 
Yeah, a lot of conversation in the chat tonight. Thank you so much. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button as well. It gives you a notification every time we go live. We're past that portion of the season where it'll, it won't be as fluctuating now, Ryan. Like I think we'll be live a little bit more consistently at times when we put it in the chat or if we set up the stream, it'll usually be at that time. But you never know. You never know when we're feeling it and you, you want to get a notification so you know when we're going live. We appreciate all of your guys' support for sure. A uh, lot of conversation in here about Jake Kumaro uh, in the chat, which I think is an interesting topic. The Bills keep seven wide receivers to start. Uh, they end up uh, putting Marquez Stevenson on IR, bringing back Reed Ferguson. And now you're sitting here with six wide receivers going into the year. And Kumaro's role is interesting. I think Stefan Diggs is healthy. He's looked healthy out of practice. Then you have Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley, Gabriel Davis, and then Isaiah McKenzie, who's going to be the primary return man. He's been working uh, in in the red jersey the last couple days, but he's looked good. I mean, where he's where he's at, considering where he was with the sling uh, a, a little while ago, you like the progress that you've seen. But then you're left with Jay Kumaro, who I think can contribute on special teams. I think that's where he'll be if he's active on game days. But Ryan, early on in the season, before anything happens. I could see a scenario where Jake Kumro maybe isn't even active on game days to start the year. And I think that's fair because you have your top players, your top five, and if they're all healthy and good to go, you may not need that sixth receiver. That's maybe some weeks so he's active when you want to tinker with the running back room and make Taiwan Jones, which seems unprecedented, inactive because he can play that special teams role. It's a good problem to have, Bills fans. When when you have a solid number six receiver, when you have a, uh, going back to Taiwan Jones, a running back that's one of the, the best gunners, one of the best special teams players in the NFL, these are the problems that you like to have. Well, how can we get them both on the field? How can we make the most of one or both of them on a week-by-week basis? Yeah, Kumaro might be the odd man out some weeks. They might need to go heavy on offensive line, depending on injuries, defensive line, any position, etc. And Kumaro being wide receiver number six does not ensure him a an active game day roster spot in any given week. Now, mind you, if the Bills think they're going to be in a shootout, if they think one of their wide receivers is a little bit banged up entering the game, absolutely I would have Kumaro active. There's some talk in the chat about has he earned his spot? Yes, he's earned his spot, not just from the special teams perspective. He made a lot of plays throughout training camp. He made some plays during the preseason he was a consistent receiver for this team. It wasn't just like a, a two-practice uh, deal. It wasn't where he flashed in the preseason like Marquez Stevenson did. Kudos to him for doing that. But Kumaro, his body of work this summer, this spring, was consistent from practice one all the way to the end. Ryan, uh, usually after the roster cutdown day, you you get in the weeds a little bit with the practice squad, but you didn't really have to this year because they basically brought back their entire team <laughs> for, for basically. I mean, they brought up 15 of the 16 guys were back right away. Uh, let's get into our impressions of that practice squad group. The one guy that they couldn't bring back, Nick McLeod, who I think we both thought was pretty good in the preseason, pretty good in training camp, a developmental guy that I think they would have loved to have sn- snuck onto their practice squad, maybe even in place of an Elijah Griffin uh, who ends up uh, gets, getting that other spot at cornerback, but they get Cam Lewis back, who I think was priority, Joe Giles Harris, who was definitely priority, and then Jack Anderson, who is a great developmental piece, uh, guard that they just drafted, guard center, that they can kind of you know let him take his, his, his redshirt year, if you will, and 
probably only going to call on him if they really need to injury wise, but I thought they did a really good job getting a lot of the guys that I think you didn't love to say goodbye to. I think we could, we could all agree that they were, they were, they made sense to move on from because of how good this roster is. But man, those are nice guys to have. If you have to plug somebody in since they've been there since the spring. Yeah. And and listen, uh, I didn't have to do much research for the practice squad because the one, the bills announced so quickly, but your report on Cam Lewis, you noted the bills love him. They'd like to have him back on the practice squad. I noted it with Antonio Williams and some of these other players that ended up there on the, the practice squad the next day. I like that the bills brought players that were either just in their system this spring, this summer, some that have been here for multiple years, like a Mike love, even though that defensive end room is super deep. They like, Hey, We've seen a lot out of Mike Love over the years. It doesn't hurt to bring him back, develop develop him. Josh Thomas, someone who realistically could have won a roster spot um, if, if it had not been for them drafting DeMar Hamlin. That's how good he was. So both quarterbacks, the list goes on and on. Antonio Williams, there's a lot of talent on that practice squad. And like you said, you're one injury away from needing one of those players to step up. Some of them will be act uh, elevated week by week and, and play some important roles throughout the season. So having 14 of your 15 or 15 of your 16, I should say guys on that practice squad being people who have been here, who have experience in this system, that's big for Buffalo. One thing on Nick McLeod, even though he was claimed by the Bengals, if he gets cut at any point and clears waivers, I would not shock me whatsoever if the Bills said, hey, listen, why don't you come to our practice squad? You know the system. We like what you saw out of you. We can open up a spot. I, I don't think this is the end of Nick McLeod in Buffalo unless Cincinnati keeps him on that main roster throughout the season, which it, it would surprise me to a certain extent because he is re- relatively inexperienced. But those are the types of players a team like the Bengals can take a risk on because the Bengals aren't expected to compete for a Super Bowl this year. They're not expected to complete for uh, compete for a playoff spot. They're in a rebuilding mode. So take a chance on a young guy like that where the Bills simply couldn't. They're in a Super Bowl window. They're trying to win now. Noticing some comments over in the Facebook um, feed, and, and we can get to a couple of them. Uh, Brian asks about Devin Singletary and being able to trust him as maybe an RB2 in fantasy. And that's actually something I've been asked quite a bit, Ryan, about the running back situation for this Bills team. And like from a fantasy perspective, where do you want to draft these guys? And, you know, running back two for me in, with Singletary is probably still even a little too rich for my blood um, just because of the – the fact that he's gotten dinged up both years, they still have a lot of talent at the position. I think they still like Zach Moss and they like Matt Breida, obviously, he's still on the roster. But, you know, I, I, th- I, I put Devin Singletary in a different um, category than the two of them, but I just don't think it's good enough for me to trust Singletary than anything more than a flex at this point. But honestly, I love him if you can get him in a flex spot, especially if you're deep at receiver. I think that that sets up your, your fantasy team to be potentially really good. Yeah, listen, I've been in a few fantasy drafts where Singletary was not even taken, and he's still out there. If you're going to take him, take him with one of your last picks. Sit him on your bench for the first few weeks. See how the Bills play this. Is it a 50-50 split with Singletary and Moss? Is he getting the majority of the carries? How does he look getting the majority of the carries? You don't want to put someone in that lineup that uh, you have high expectations for, or you, you hope that you have high expectations for, and then put up a dud where you have someone on the bench that's more proven that you know is at least going to get some opportunities. That happens every year in fantasy. Um, Naheem Hines, I don't mean to call out Naheem Hines, but I, I promise you, Matt, 
I would have him on my bench and he'd put up 30 some points. I'd put him in my lineup the next week and it would be two or three. So you have those players that are frustrating and it's not Singletary's fault, but the usage, uh, we don't know where that is in the regular season. Even if he's their best back, this is a pass first offense. He might not get more than seven or eight carries. And is that valuable, valuable to your team? Time will tell. Doesn't hurt to have him as one of your last spots on the bench by any stretch of the imagination, but I wouldn't even put him in a flex spot right now. Ooh, okay. All right. I, I respect that. And Ryan had some good fantasy uh, performances last year. So uh, maybe uh, listen to the man there. Uh, so another thing I saw on Facebook uh, from Christopher, and I know we talked uh, at the beginning of the show when I was uh, dealing with uh, uh, the little one. Uh, about CB2 and what's going on there. And Christopher Mead, uh, do Hame over on Yahoo or Facebook mentions that CB2 for him is a scary spot. And I continue to see that across the board. And I try to set up Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott the last two days, more so Bean. Um, Sean was asked about the cornerback two competition quite a bit today. And I think it was, I think John Scott put out a pretty good video. If you want to check it out over on Twitter, with some of the comments from not only McDermott, but Levi Wallace as well, and what where that competition stands. But if we go to just what Brandon Bean said yesterday, I want to I want to bring this up because I asked him specifically, you know, he was talking a little bit about the cornerback battle, but then he got into, um, you know, I wanted to ask him about Saran Neal because if you look at this depth chart, you got the two guys competing for CB2, and then everybody else wants to talk about bringing in you know, a veteran guy that could come in here and um, offer them probably a little bit of what Josh Norman did. But if you're not happy with Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson's not ready, another option. But in the, from my perspective, it's it's continued to be that their confidence in Saran Neal is what's stopped them from doing that. And so I asked him about Saran Neal, and he said, I think the Detroit game probably wasn't Saran's best, but I thought he did well. The kid in Chicago made a heck of a play on him and that uh, on that long ball, which you know they're chalking it up to the receiver just making a better play, and I think that that's fair. But here's where it got interesting. He said, Saran is one of our best tacklers. Safeties or corners, he's one of those hybrid pieces. Probably similar to Reggie Gilliam on the offensive side. Can do a lot with him. I think in an emergency, we could throw him back at safety. He hasn't been just a clean fit in one spot we like his versatility so that's why leslie frazier has chosen to let him fill in as a fourth corner a backup nickel emergency safety and then obviously what he does on special teams this is a guy that has immense value and look at one of the first things that he mentions when he talks about saran neal everybody wants to get all you know you know uh, blinders on when they're talking about cornerback two getting a guy, a speed guy, a traitsy guy. They want a guy that can tackle. If it comes down to it, and one of these two guys, Levi Wallace or Dane Jackson, can't do the job, they're going to hand it over to Saran Neal in an emergency because they know he's going to go out there, he's going to be a sure tackler in most situations, and that's what they value. And I almost feel like it's Groundhog Day because it seems like every year the Bills fans are concerned about the cornerback depth. And I'm not critiquing that. I understand that last year everyone was saying, oh, it's Levi Wallace uh, against Josh Norman, and Josh Norman's best days are behind him. And, and that may have been the case, but Norman was fine when he was on the field. Kevin Johnson the year before that, well, that guy's injury prone. He He's not going to help. He was fine. Levi Wallace was fine. The Bills have shown time and time again that they trust the guys that they won, Levi, who they've 
developed and brought along. They trust a guy like Saran Neal, someone that they drafted and have brought along. And mind you, he started out as more of a safety. Then his position switched to cornerback. He is that Swiss Army type of player that can play inside, outside, corner, safety. Probably is the best fit on the inside as a cornerback. Don't get me wrong. But they, they've always valued versatility. They've always valued developing their own players. Uh, he didn't get a spot on the 53-man roster, but Cam Lewis being brought back to that practice squad. If something were to happen and they needed to elevate a guy, I, I think they would be more than happy to sign Lewis to their main roster, play him before they would go out and sign anyone that's out there on the active market right now. Mm-hmm. A lot of good conversation in the chat. If you're watching on YouTube, almost 200, hit that like button. Uh, subscribe as well. You'll get a notification every time we do go live. We're brought to you, the Shout Football Podcast, brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store, with more from hot-to-go pizza and appetizers, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs and subs, to delicious salads and brownie trays. Tops has everything you need to feed the hungriest football fan. And, you know, we're, we're getting there. I, I see somebody in the comments here asking about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, we're going to have plenty of Pittsburgh Steelers preview talk next week, and we're going to get into it. Uh, Sean McDermott actually had a really interesting quote about that today and that this is kind of un, unknown territory, this four-day window where, you know, he's a he's a creature of habit. He likes his routine. And right now the, the, the team is going to disband now tomorrow into month next week uh, all the way almost up until tuesday and then they'll kind of put together a practice schedule for next week getting ready for pittsburgh so a lot of uh you know it's just a nuanced thing like most years it's a very you know regimented schedule this year is a little bit different but you know let's get to a practice update a little bit here we were out the last two days and i'm telling you ryan before the chicago game i was starting to look ahead a little bit wondering what this injury report had the potential to look like. Remember before the Chicago game it was kind of long, a laundry list type of thing. Now we're looking at it and it's pretty solid. I mean, Starla Tulele has not been at practice the last two days dealing with a calf injury. That's a little bit weird, but who knows? I mean, I, I, I would imagine that if he's out there on that Wednesday, uh, I would not be very concerned about that. It didn't seem like Sean McDermott talking about any of the lingering issues as anything that would be concerning to him. I even saw Harrison Phillips out there today, uh, and, and now it's regular season rules, by the way, so we're only seeing them at the beginning. But I think what we've seen of Harrison Phillips back to this point, being out there taking part in a lot of the individual stuff is a really great sign. Micah Hyde's been out for personal reasons. We mentioned that. Jaquan Johnson was back at practice today. That's big news. He wasn't even wearing a red jersey. Dane Jackson still in a red jersey. Isaiah McKenzie still in a red jersey. And, of course, Taron Johnson uh, with the red jersey. He was wearing a club on that injured hand. Uh, so that's something to watch as well. But it looks like he's going to get after it and, and, and be ready to go, I would imagine, uh, by the looks of it right now. So the injury report right now is looking all right, right? It, the fact that they only had to make one roster move and that being putting Marquez Stevenson on the injured reserve uh, and, and only had to release one player, Reed Ferguson, who they brought back obviously by now to make that work. I thought that right there was really encouraging. That was a promising sign that those cornerbacks were going to be fine because there are only five corners on the main roster. Uh, it was promising in terms of Jaquan Johnson, who we had not seen for some time up until today. So Harrison Phillips, throw him onto the list as well on the defensive line, because when they had five defensive tackles, I said, well, maybe uh, someone is going to get moved 
to the injured reserve. And that does not seem to be the case. So the bills are trending in the right direction for week one. We know, and again, we won't get too much into Pittsburgh talk. Pittsburgh put moved three guys over to the IR, uh, Stefan Tuit being one, I believe, and they won't be available for this game because of that. So they're going to miss some time. So at the end of the day, the Bills missing for sure. They're number seven wide receiver, and that's all we know so far. I think that's a, a really good sign for week one. You know, I, I had some people in the chat I noticed talking about the defensive line and, you know, not a great effort against uh, Green Bay at times. I mean, they didn't score any points, but there were some drives where, you know, when you're facing first-team offenses, you want to be able to get off the field. I get that. I thought another interesting thing that Brandon Bean talked about yesterday was evaluating Vernon Butler. And I, I, I really viewed him as a bubble guy, and I got the sense from listening to Brandon Bean talk about Butler yesterday he really wasn't a a, a, a a bubble guy. It was it's somebody that I think that they're still looking at and going to rely upon this season. And you know, it goes back to what they said at the outset, and that they're hoping with Starback and Harrison Phillips probably playing more of that traditional one tech role. They can use. I almost feel like the way Brandon Bean talked about it, Vernon Butler could be a situational pass rusher from the t- three tech role. And if Ed Oliver doesn't get off to a really strong start. You could see maybe Vernon Butler push him for snaps in that role as somebody that they want to get back there and cause pressure and get sacks. I I love the defensive line in terms of the versatility and the different rotations that they can use. But specifically with Vernon Butler, listen, you know, I would not have been surprised had he been released, but there was also a lot working in his favor. He was praised leading up to the roster cuts. We know his experience with Eric Washington. He did have his moments last season with Buffalo late in the year. He played better late in the year than he did early in the season. So there, there was a lot working in his favor. And you're right. Maybe that is going to be his role this year, giving cutting into Ed Oliver's uh, snaps if, if Ed Oliver doesn't take that next step. Because just like Dawson Knox on offense, this is a huge year for Ed Oliver in terms of his development and what their expectations are. And if they're not getting that early in the season, it might be like, well, let's put Vernon Butler in there and see if, one, if he can perform, but two, maybe it lights a fire under Ed Oliver. Uh, If Bills fans can go back a few years ago with Jordan Phillips and Phillips cutting into Oliver's playing time kind of lit a fire under him a little bit. It helped him have that second half of the season where he came on. He had that really nice game against Dallas on Thanksgiving. Little things like that work out, but having players that you can keep help keep other players fresh because Butler can help Oliver in that regard. He can help the other defensive tackles. And then having pieces like F.A. Obata and Boogie Basham that you can also kick inside and you can rotate and move around. That's what's going to make this year so exciting if you're a Bills fan in terms of watching that defense. I think they're going to have a lot of fun with their front four, how they utilize them, how they rotate uh, rotate them, and how they keep them fresh. Yeah, and I see some people commenting in here if if Butler pushes Oliver for snaps, it's going to be disappointing. I'm not suggesting that that's going to be that's going to happen, but I do think that this is a situation in terms of the numbers approach, even at tackle holding five is literally just about making sure all your bases are covered. They are going to get to the passer. You know, anyway, that's that seems to be the mindset. It's almost like, you know, Sean being asked about it today and him saying, 
listen, you know, they've been written about enough now, which is funny because I thought Sean McDermott, McDermott didn't read any of the stories and and watch all the, the media coverage. But, you know, that has been a, a, a narrative that's been covered pretty, you know, uh, vastly this offseason, the defensive line and all the adjustments they made. It's not about you know, talking about what they're going to do anymore. Now it's about producing. They have the pieces in place to do that. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Um, what did you think about uh, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean's comments on Cody Ford? I was talking to credit to Joe Biscalia. Uh, we were talking off to the side. He asked uh, about Cody Ford uh, today and you know, that they're still not really committing to Cody Ford as their starting right guard. I, I think he's been at right guard, like in the open practice the other day at the start in the game. I think he's better than Ike Bucker personally. Uh, I think he's still kind of getting his feet under him, but you know, there still seems to be this hesitancy to, to naming him the right guard. And I, I almost wonder if they maybe shouldn't have given him. And I know like they're, they really build this thing around competition and you know what their comments are on Levi Wallace today. And that CB two competition as wild as it seems to some of us probably because it seems like Levi's done more than enough to win that job at this point. I think it's kind of also interesting. I, I think that Ford's outplayed Ike Butker, but they're going to let this thing run out to the final whistle. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned Levi Wallace. It, that's what it reminded me of. It, it's, we thought the competition was over. We thought that Ford uh, in this case had outplayed Ike Butker and, and was in line to start and listen, Butker as your reserve guard, whether you're talking left guard or right guard to spell either of the starters, that's not a terrible scenario, but the Bills aren't ready to call that yet. Maybe it's a motivational uh, ploy that they're trying to get more out of all of these players. Maybe maybe it is still a true competition, and it's going to be determined this week, and maybe it's just kind of keeping things as mysterious as possible for week one. Now, I highly doubt the Steelers' game plan is really going to – rotate around one of Buffalo's guard spots in their cornerback two job. But the bills are the bills. They like to keep things close to the vest. They don't like to share information if they don't have to. I would be surprised if Ike Butker started over Cody Ford based on their play this summer. And what we've seen that being said, Butker has a lot of starting experience from last year. And the more he was in there, the better he did get over the course of the season. I will give that to Butker. So I'll wait and see. I still think it's going to be Levi Wallace as cornerback number two and Cody Ford is one of your starting guards, but never say never with the Buffalo Bills. Yes, never say never. Um, I think it's a Justin Bieber song. Um, Absolutely it is. Okay, yeah. Oh, oh. speaking of which. Speaking of Bieber? Like, Bieber? No, no, no. Oh, but something okay. I remember that I wanted to talk about that wasn't Bills related. I was going to download the video, but I did not do that. I'm ashamed of myself, actually, that I, I, I got to, I just got too busy. I want to see if I could bring it up on my phone here. Bear with me. Well, everybody. while you do that, can I, can I address a comment in the chat? Uh, yeah, sure. All right. It's a lot of Gabe Davis talk in the chat. And a while ago, someone said Gabe Davis is going to eat like a 13 year old at Ponderosa on his birthday. Who picks Ponderosa when you're 13? At least go to like Pizza Hut. Some Ponderosa, terrible. 
I, I don't know about you, Matt. I never liked Ponderosa. That was not my thing. But listen, I get what you're wow. saying. I, I do like Gabe Davis. He's wow. going to be going against cornerback number four for other teams on any given week if you put out those four wide receivers. So I get the comment. I get what they're saying. I do agree with that. But Ponderosa? Come so on. We're, so we're getting, we're getting food takes from this guy today, I guess. Huh? We're getting food takes <laughs> from this guy, apparently. Look at this guy, okay? Let me see if I can. Oh, my God. What, what's the face that we're making here, Ryan Talbot? I couldn't Amazement. Get Look at this. Look at this. You could fit a whole single order of Ponderosa <laughs> chicken wings in that gullet. All right, listen. couple things here. First of all, I didn't understand what the excitement was over the cheese thing, so I want you to ex- explain that. Um. Somebody said, uh, like a 13 year old at Topps Burger Bar. Heck yeah. It's a great, yes. great place to stop. Yes. So many things happening right now, but let's, let's reverse here. My dad actually worked at a Ponderosa. He, he ran a Ponderosa for a while, then he was in HR. Um, so we ate a Ponderosa like every week growing up. And I think it was, it was higher quality back in the day, I think, because we loved it. I mean, we would go there, they'd have the full, like, uh, we'd get the, um, what is it? We they get the buffet. We go and uh, they had a great like uh, soft serve machine. All the toppings that you can you can ask for. Ryan, you're you're eating with like uh, whiz cheese whiz here, and you're and and <laughs> what's going Spray on? Spray cheese. Spray cheese. Excuse Let's me. Let's get it right first. All of right, all. all right, all right. Move on from Ponderosa. What was up with the spray all cheese? Right. First of all, I learned yesterday that there is an easy cheese shortage throughout the United States. So a little fun fact for you there. I had seen a video on Facebook that I guess came from TikTok where a guy put spray cheese under a cracker and it shot up and it spun around. And my mind was blown, Matt, because as a cheese connoisseur throughout my life, I did not know that that was possible. So you know what I said, Matt? I said right after I got to work yesterday, I need to find some spray cheese and I need to find some crackers. And I'm not going to lie to you. And, and I'm sorry for the Bills fans that are here for the Bills chat. Now you're learning about spray cheese. I got I got a terrible case of the cheese hand yesterday. I failed in my first like four attempts and I had spray cheese all over my hands. But the fifth attempt was magic. And I said, if if I have that magic, I have to share it with the world. So I did it a sixth time. And it worked again, and my mind was blown. You shoot the cheese from underneath, and it sprays above. Come for the Bills talk. <laughs> Stay for the cheese whiz. That was pretty Spray gross experience cheese. for me. Whatever. Spray cheese, cheese whiz, whatever. Um, a lot of people supporting my Ponderosa take in the chat, just so you know. I would say that um, more people in favor of Ponderosa. And that... I do agree. I went to a Ponderosa a couple years ago, and I don't think there's many left for obvious reasons. But um, I went to one recently, like a couple years ago, and it wasn't good. But they're right. 80s Ponderosa was the place to be. So, Ryan, you're gross. Okay? You're gross. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. Let's get to – if you're watching on YouTube, thank you. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button as well. I want to get into our season predictions here before we get out. Um, Talk a little bit about what we're thinking why don't we start with you, Ryan? Let's get your three losses. Uh, we both had the Bills going 14-3. and three. Where did you have them uh, falling uh, on the schedule? 
So the first game was against the Chiefs. And listen, my rationale was simple, Bills fans. And I, I said this throughout the years when Tom Brady was the quarterback with the Patriots. Until I see it, I'm not going to believe it. The Bills in the regular season, they gave the Chiefs a little bit of a fight. They were in it late. They were close to causing a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire fumble. Justin Zimmer, shout out. He was the one that almost stripped the ball, but his knee was down when they were within one score, and it just didn't happen. Playoffs, they were beaten pretty thoroughly, but Buffalo's top three receivers were very injured. I will give them that. I'm just not at that point to say to pick the Bills on the road in a primetime game to defeat the Chiefs. So that's loss number one. When I actually see them do it regular season, postseason, then I'll be more comfortable doing it. I only finally picked the Bills over the Patriots, for instance, last season because Brady was gone. Once the Brady factor was gone, I could, I could pick the Bills. Mahomes is going to be here for a long, long time, so I need to see Josh Allen and company go toe-to-toe with him and defeat him. So there's loss one. Loss two, the Colts game. That one might be a little bit of a surprise for some Bills fans, but I thought that last year in the playoffs, they went toe-to-toe with Buffalo. Obviously, this is a lot riding on Carson Wentz, but I think that Frank Wright can get the Philadelphia Carson Wentz out of him. They worked together there. That's where he played his best football is when Frank Reich was there. Uh, So I like how he's playing. Love Jonathan Taylor. They've been bitten by the injury bug here early in the season, but by the time those teams play, all of those players are expected to be back and, and healthy. And then my last loss was actually week 18 against the Jets, and I don't think it has anything to do with the Jets. I wrote in my prediction that the Bills had clinched the number one seed in the AFC East and didn't need to play their starters in that one. So even though the backups were able to beat the Dolphins last year, the Jets uh, were able to beat Buffalo's backups in week 18 in this scenario. So really could have gone with 14, uh, or I could have gone with only two losses on this schedule, but I went with three. I said, you know, more times than not, a starting team will beat a backup team. So in that scenario, did another team already wrap up uh, home field for the playoffs? No, I, I said the, the Bills actually Bills actually sealed number one before that game. Oh, number one in the AFC. In the AFC. AFC. I thought you said AFC. I thought you said AFC. No, I'm East, sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. I meant in the AFC if I did say AFCs. I, I have the Bills having the AFC number one seed before that game is played. I think even though the Chiefs would have that head-to-head win over the Bills in my scenario, I think they're going to face some tougher tests this year, even within their own division. Every year, teams within their own division, one, give you a better fight. I'm not expecting that from the Broncos uh, necessarily, but I think the Chargers could take one in that division from them. The Raiders took one from them last year. And and even though I don't think the Raiders are as talented as Kansas City, there's something to be said about divisional games. And there's something to be said about Derek Carr knowing how to attack that defense. He's had some success. They have some talent there. So between the division, between some of the other games that the Chiefs are playing, I actually have the Bills as the AFC's number one seed, having that uh, wrapped up before week 18. I'm sorry, I I was listening, but I I the absolute nerve of Sarah Holland, who is actually in the chat tonight. Um, she's going to make her debut, I believe, next week uh, on the show. Said she's never heard of Ponderosa before. What in the world is happening right now? This is just absolute bedlam in the shout comments. All right, um, I got the Bills going 14 and three as well. I thought that. Um, Great synopsis there, Ryan. I, I, I could see a path to that 14 and three. 
I have the Bills winning against the Chiefs to start 5 and 0 out of the gates. I think that the Bills have a really nice schedule coming out. I, I like the matchup against the Texans. I love the matchup against the Washington football team at home. I, I think Washington's tougher. I think it's going to be a tougher game. Their defense is really good. They're going to be, bring pressure. But I think the Bills always play good in Miami, and I'm still not convinced on Tua Tagovailoa. We'll see it uh, in, in week one, and then uh, when he plays, goes up against that defense in New England, which everybody's talking about Mac Jones. More people need to be talking about that defense in New England because they're going to be – I think much improved and, and I don't see the bills. Uh, we'll get to that in a second more on new England in a moment. Um, the opener, I eat, listen, Pittsburgh might be back. Let's, let's just say all things go right. Ben's better. You know, they're able to run the ball with Najee Harris, their offensive line somehow figures it out and finds a way to be even just average. And then defensively, they pick up where, you know, Pittsburgh teams of the past have picked up. I don't think it's going to be enough in that opener when that place is absolutely shaking. The way that offense has played in every open practice, in every stadium practice, and then against the Green Bay Packers, I know it was against backups. I just don't see a path to victory for the Pittsburgh Steelers in that opener. So I got them going 4-0, and then here come the Kansas City Chiefs. And this is your chance. This is, you know, this is your chance to rectify things. It's it's on the road. This is that first big road game. Cause let's be honest, a road game in Miami is not really like a road game. I mean, it's not like, you know, you, you probably heard more noise in Buffalo for 6,500 at uh new era last year, bill stadium last year. Uh, then you'll see, then you'll hear in a full packed house in Miami in week two. So we get to Kansas city. That's, that's the first big prove it moment. And I think that that's going to be a place where Leslie Frazier, what did you learn in an off season of study from what they were able to do to, to you last year? And I think it's going to be really the defense that wins that game more than anything. I'm, I'm I think the offense will be good. I'm not so sure. I, I could see a little bit of a regression for the chiefs defense. I mean, Chris Jones, that's a fun storyline to track defensive tackles as they get on in years. It's hard to bring that same level of impact. I could see a bit of a drop off there in their front, uh, front four and front seven. I think that's going to be a game that they have circled on their calendar. They get the W. The Bills start 5-0. and But I think it's going to be such a huge moment, Ryan, that there's going to be a little bit of an energy jump the next week. A very tough game, back-to-back on the road, going to Nashville. Tennessee, I still think, has that kind of grind-you-out style under Mike Vrabel, could still get things some things done defensively. I like Jeffrey Simmons. I like some of the pieces that they put around him up front. So I have the Bills dropping that one just based on not necessarily because I think Tennessee is better just because I think it's a tough spot to win back to back on the road like that. Uh, so I'll, I'll have the Bills starting five and one. Then let's fast forward all the way through the Dolphins, the Jaguars, the Jets, the Colts, the Saints on New Orleans. Those are all W's for me for the Bills. Ten and one start to the season. They go, uh, come back home after Thanksgiving, 10-day break, take out the New England Patriots, who I think are going to be a much tougher test. I think this is going to be a real battle of a game. But I think the Bills win to go to 11-1. And then I just think that the, the luck runs out a little bit. They drop the, the road game the following week after a big divisional game, which is probably going to be physical against New England. They lose to the Bucs. Uh, that's their second loss. And then I have them losing in the rematch to new England. And that's the kind of foil to the perfect run through the division. They'll end up finishing at 14 and three. 
I like New England's defense this year. I, I, I don't know what you're going to see out of that offense. Even if Mac Jones is good, I don't know if they have enough talent at some of the skill positions to keep up with the Buffalo because I think as good as that defense is in New England, Josh Allen has proven he's going to score some points against them. I, th- I think there's going to be more challenges, and I think the the thing that I'll give the advantage to Bill Belichick on, Ryan, is that they'll, they'll take a look at him on that Monday night game. I think Josh Allen will have a pretty good game in that one. They'll come back a few weeks later and make things even tougher on Josh Allen in this offense. I landed 14-3 and three thoughts. No, I love it. And, and you know what? I'm glad you mentioned the Patriots because I wanted to talk about something. A few days ago, Booger, Booger McFarland said the Bills were on notice because Mac Jones won the starting job. And, and listen, that is absolutely ridiculous. I think the Patriots have a talented enough roster to win a wild card spot. I truly believe that. I think their defense is solid. I think they have such a deep running back room that they can lean on the run game, depend on their defense to keep the scoring low and win some really close games. But that style does not mesh up well with a Buffalo Bills team that can throw it all over and put up points quickly by any stretch of the imagination. And I think releasing Cam Newton had as much to do with Mac Jones winning the job as it did with Bill Belichick knowing that at some point this year, Mac Jones is going to hit a wall. And he's going to struggle, and he's going to have a bad game, two bad games, maybe three bad games in a row, Matt. And if you have a quality NFL starting quarterback caliber backup, like a Cam Newton would be in this case, the fans are going to start clamoring for it. And they're going to want to bring that quarterback into the games because they want to win. And that does nothing for a young quarterback. Obviously, a different scenario last year with Tua and Ryan Fitzpatrick. But anytime they were in a close game, they pulled Tua, they put Ryan Fitzpatrick in as their closer to end it. I don't think that did Tua any favors. If Cam Newton was still in New England and Mac Jones started to struggle and you go to Cam Newton, that does not help Mac Jones in his development. And I think Bill Belichick, first and foremost, wants to develop Mac Jones the right way. He knows they're going to take some losses this year because he is their quarterback when they do need to pass the ball. He might not be able to go toe-to-toe with the Josh Allens of the world, and he's okay with that. He's going to probably let you know take the training wheels off as the year goes on. But I think getting rid of Cam Newton had a lot to do with the fact that this is a rookie who eventually is going to struggle, and I don't want there to be any kind of controversy where the fan and the media is calling for Newton to start over him. Yeah, and that was a great uh, synopsis of all of that. And I, I, I think that one of the things I would I would caution against is like, you guys do know Bill's Mafia. You're used pretty heavily by a lot of these national folks because they know the kind of run what they say will get. I mean, PFF kind of, I, I believe, really wrote the manual on this, but a couple of guys are are taking it and running with it. I think for Booger McFarland to say what he said – I think that New England's going to be tough against Buffalo because of what they bring to the table, you know, defensively. But they got to be at full bore. They got to be 100% healthy. All their Stefan Gilmore's got to come back from from being dinged up, and he's got to be better than the Stefan Gilmore that we even saw in 19, who was getting cooked by John Brown. Like they're they're going to need some of their playmakers to come back and prove it before they even get to the portion of the schedule that includes the Buffalo Bills. So I think just remember that I think sometimes like Nick Wright, he saw the reaction that he got to this stuff early on. And he's like, let me dial this up. Yeah. Every time there's a spicy ticket, it's the same thing with um, Skip 
uh, Bayless and LeBron James. Every time he could say something to piss off everybody about LeBron James, he just he clamors for that. So don't mute mute Nick Nick Wright on on Twitter. Like turn off his things. If I see any type of thing from Nick Wright on the Bills, I immediately just pass. I don't even look at it because it's just it's not it's different. At least Colin Cowherd is a guy that I think like has developed some cachet and some reputable traits over the years that makes me, you know, I'll listen to him from time to time and respect his take from time to time. But a guy like Nick Wright commenting on football when really he's a basketball guy, it's the same reason I don't really like listen to Stephen A. Stephen A. Smith's takes on UFC or MMA or, or NFL or anything like that. He's a basketball guy. Stay in your lane. You know what I mean? I'm a football guy and I'm a basketball guy and I am a, a, a MMA guy. You're not going to see me spouting off about NHL takes. I don't have them. I live in a city where NHL is huge, where the Sabres are huge, but you're never going to come on here and get me going waxing poetic about what the bill should or the Sabres should do with Jack Eichel. It's just not going to happen because I don't know anything about it. So I'm not going to put those words in my mouth. So stick with those kind of people that only speak on things that they really are uh, an authority on. Yeah, I think that's really well said. It's very easy to upset a fan base especially as one as passionate as the Bills Mafia by bashing Josh Allen or bashing this team or bashing this city. Um, you saw a few weeks ago or a month ago, there was some really um, poorly cited report about Austin, Texas being a possible location for the Bills. And finally today we heard from PSE saying, no, leaving Buffalo is not an option or leaving Orchard Park is not even an option that's on the table. But whoever, you know, once that was out there, all these sites ran with it. All uh, Florio at Pro Football Talk ran with it and was doing everything he could because he knew it would generate clicks. It would upset people. So you're right. Avoid those. Don't feed the trolls. All right. Don't feed the trolls. That's this week's uh, tagline for the show. Uh, everybody, thank you so much. We we got close up here to 300 at the end on a, on a late Thursday night with a long weekend ahead. Uh, this was a, a lot of fun, Ryan Talbot. I'm going to let you uh, have the final word here. But before I do, are you hosting a large party coming up this holiday weekend? Check out Tops' huge selection of party platters, platters for a delicious, effortless, and affordable, no-stress way to impress. For complete details, stop by their carryout cafe or visit topsmarkets.com uh, forward slash fantasy food ball. That's food ball, F-O-O-D. B-A-L-L, final word, Ryan Talbot. Final word. We'll, we'll do a deep dive on the Steelers next week, but there are two things I still do not like about that team, their offensive line and their cornerback depth. And I think those are two areas where the Bills are really going to exploit them come week one. For Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. We'll see you next week. Enjoy your long weekend. Uh, we'll we'll introduce you all to Sarah Holland next week. We're excited to welcome her into the show. She got her introduction to the chat tonight. And she'll be live with us next week uh, to continue to interact with all of you. Have a great weekend, everyone. Take care.